The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning to you all this Monday morning. You're watching Squawkbox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. The Biden administration presses Republican lawmakers to agree a $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan, stressing the urgent need for more stimulus as the number of confirmed U.S. cases tops 25 million. The brutal truth is that things are going to get worse the next several months before they get better. We didn't get into this mess overnight. It's going to take time for us to turn things around. But we also have to act now now with urgency and unity as the United States of America. Beijing making a show of force, sending fighter jets into Taiwanese airspace, whilst a U.S. aircraft carrier group arrives in the South China Sea. Former PBOC member Li Daokoi tells CNBC it will take more time to normalize relations. We'll have to take some time for President Trump's legacy to die down Okay, what we are experiencing right now is the leftover of Trump administration's damage of uh, on the relationship. Germany's economy minister calls for action over a shortage of chips for the auto industry as VW reportedly explores a claim for damages, while Taiwan's TSMC promises to prioritize production for car makers. Deutsche Bank confirms an internal probe into investment banking practices amid claims staff knowingly sold products to people who didn't understand the risk. Also coming up, CNBC hosts ECB President Christine Lagarde, the French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire and the German Economy Minister Peter Altmaier alongside VW CEO Herbert Dies and Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon at the Davos Agenda as business leaders look to repair the global economy. Admit it, you want my job, don't you? There's so much going on in the world that we are privileged to be uh, a window to that as well with all those guests we've got coming up as well, plus all the big news uh, across the other side of the world in the States and what's going on in the South China Seas and close to home, some of the corporate earnings as well. And there's some big numbers out uh, from Royal Dutch Philips uh, this morning as well. Philips, very interesting. The year-to-date performance, well, they started the year in good fashion, up 4%. But as you can see, after that huge dip we saw back Back in March, the shares not only stabilised but managed to eke out some gains uh, for the last year as well. But this is a company that Franz van Houten has been trying to reform and get in the way of, well, what's he been getting it to? He's been getting it to health tech uh, and medical services uh, products as well. And by and large, I think the numbers, well, let me just go through the numbers for you to show whether they've taken advantage uh, of those areas. The fourth quarter sales have come in at 6 billion euros with a 7% comparable sales growth. Now, 7% comparable sales growth in these markets, I think it's impressive. Uh, income from continuing operations increases to 608 million. Adjusted EBITDA improves 110 basis points to 19%. So take a step back, ladies and gentlemen, before I go to the rest of the figures. You're improving your comparable sales growth. 
but you're not doing it by slashing prices. In fact, you're doing it by improving your uh, margin at an EBITDA level, albeit by 110 uh, basis points to 19%. Operating cash flow increasing to 1.31 billion euros as well. So what are they saying elsewhere as well? They're saying, looking ahead, we continue to see uncertainty. Well, of course they do, uh, related to the impact of COVID-19 across the world. But they plan to deliver low single-digit comparative sales growth so, okay, low single digits. So that's giving uh, a 2021 outlook lower than that fourth quarter figure as well, but driven by solid growth. And this is the areas I was talking to you all about. Diagnosis, treatment, personal health, offset by lower connected care sales and an adjusted EBITDA margin improvement of 60 to 80 basis points. I'm disappointed I'm not speaking to Franz Van Houten today because if I was, I would ask why lower connected care sales as well. Is that a COVID issue or, or because it's an area where I would expect growth as well. But 7% comparable sales growth as well. The margin up 19% as well. Is there anything else you need to know? No, I don't believe there is. So the strategy for Franz Van Houten, Karen, looks like it's doing exactly what he told us it would do. And it's a lovely Monday morning. So nice to see you today. Nice to see you too. And busy old morning, isn't it? And the Phillips numbers, I think, uh, an interesting window into the week we're having because very early on, Phillips started that journey towards ESG. And we've seen a monumental shift in the investment community behind that way of thinking as well. And corporates, of course, having to, to move uh, during the pandemic with all the other challenges towards a more sustainable business model. But I think uh, you're just uh, highlighting really how some of those benefits uh, can come through at a corporate line. And let's push on to the politics. Uh, it is a huge week as White House officials have started talks with a bipartisan group of senators in a bid to push through President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. In a weekend call, lawmakers agreed to prioritise vaccine distribution, but several Republicans questioned the size of the proposal. Biden's team said the bill must be passed soon, warning the impact of the December COVID relief package will not last long. Meanwhile, Biden urged Americans to wear masks and practice social distancing to contain the spread of the virus. In the next few months, masks, not vaccinations, are the single best defense that we have against COVID-19. Medical experts say that by wearing masks, by wearing masks from now until April, we will save more than 50,000 lives, 50,000 lives. We're asking the American people to mask up for the first 100 days. I've issued an executive order requiring masks on federal property and interstate travel like trains, planes, and buses. I hope we can work together to require masks, I hope with you and you can require masks in your cities and social distancing. The Senate will vote on Janet Yellen's nomination as Treasury Secretary later today. This after a key Senate committee unanimously approved her approval, her appointment on Friday, despite Republican concerns over Biden's spending plans. We'll come to that later on. Uh, Yellen would be the first woman to hold the role. A U.S. carrier has entered the South China Sea with military chiefs saying it's in the region to promote the freedom of the seas. It comes on the same day as Taiwan reported an incursion of 12 Chinese aircraft into its airspace. The move prompted the U.S. State Department to call on Beijing to stop pressuring Taiwan, urging China to engage in a dialogue. Just checking, no thermals, no heat warmers, no gloves, no woolly hat. Thank goodness for that. It's nice and warm. But it is actually Davos week without the snow, as you uh, 
as you're observing. Uh, normally, we would be huddled on the mountainside. Well, some of us would. Karen normally has a nice warm inside sometimes. Uh, on the mountainside with hundreds of global leaders. This year, it's a very different scene with the Davos agenda taking place virtually under the theme, A Crucial Year to Rebuild Trust. The former PBOC Monetary Policy Committee member Lee Dalcoy told CNBC he is optimistic that the Biden administration can repair damage done to the Chinese relationship during the Trump years. Speaking to our colleagues in Singapore as part of the Davos agenda, Lee said the new president's advisers will be key. Overall, I'm very optimistic about the relationship. The single most important reason is that the team of uh, President Biden is very experienced one dealing with China and the China vice versa is most comfortable dealing with uh, such a team. Many of the cabinet, top cabinet members are old friends, not old friends, are old negotiators of China. This is the single most important reason. The, vice, the, the Reversely, the problem of President Trump dealing with China is that he was using new teams I call and the team was using I call a barking strategy dealing with China, which backfired. So I do think that the trade relationship will de-escalate, although the tariff may take some time to come down. But more important, the overall temperature will come down, allowing both sides to really uh, negotiate and cooperate on many issues. I have to say, though, that politically, the temperature is not coming down, it seems, between uh, US and China. Is that going to complicate the commercial and economic relationship? Well, even on the political side, you have to take some time for President Trump's legacy to die down. Okay, what we are experiencing right now is the leftover of the Trump administration's damage of, uh, on the relationship. So you have to take time. It takes time for the general public on both sides uh, to, um, to get uh, used to a new a new norm of the relationship. So I, even on the political relationship, including issues of Taiwan streets, I do believe that situation will calm down before too long. Professor, uh, I think specifically what Sri uh, was talking about in terms of uh, increasing risks, and, and we were in conversation about it this uh, the morning, uh, is over the weekend, uh, China's decision to fly a whole bunch of planes, a lot more than usual, and not just reconnaissance planes, into Taiwan's uh, ADIZ or, or air identification zone, which prompted, of course, the U.S. response, and then they sent an entire ca uh, carrier battle group into the South China Sea. That doesn't sound like things are calming down. That sounds like, or looks very much like, things are actually getting even tenser. Well, very good question. I do believe that the carbon maneuver in the Taiwan Street is actually a, a, a prelude to a new round of uh, diplomatic re uh, negotiation between the two sides, China and the US. So before any negotiation, you do have to make some moves to indicate your commitment, uh, to indicate your overall overall attitude. So uh, so I am not particularly alarmed by the recent maneuver in the Taiwan streets. Meanwhile, Australian Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has told CNBC that he expects smooth cooperation with the US under Joe Biden. There are some familiar figures in the Biden administration who Australia has worked closely with. I know our Prime Minister worked uh, in his previous capacity as uh, as treasurer with, uh, with Janet Yellen, and I'm looking forward to working with her as well. And 
Kirk Campbell is a, a figure well known to, to Australian foreign policy circles. Uh, and, and there are many others. Uh, and of course, um, the president himself. So we're, we're looking forward to a very constructive uh, relationship between the US and Australia. And it's one um, that is is critically important, not just to Australia, but to the United States as well. Treasurer, speaking about relationships in the region, be remiss of me not to mention the current relationship between Australia and China. We've heard from the, the Prime Minister this morning in that respect, but also just in terms of the economic impact of perhaps you could call them the tensions between our two nations at the moment. Are you, are you hopeful about that this year could see a little bit of a, a shift and we could see some resolution to some of these issues? Well, the China-Australia uh, trading relationship is, again, very important and it's mutually beneficial. Um, our resources have helped underpin China's economic growth and we've welcomed that. What a wonderful success story um, China's economic growth has been, uh, taking hun- hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. Um, and at the same time, uh, China uh, has been a, a very important market for Australia and um, our exports to China has helped boost um, incomes here in Australia and been an important source of revenue and, and job creation. Uh, we've got, though, very uh, a very clear sense of our national interest and whether that is on the foreign investment front, whether it's on the national security front, uh, as well as what, whether it's on the human rights front. And uh, we'll continue to, to advocate and speak up for Australia's uh, national interest. Um, but that shouldn't preclude, um, again, um, uh, strong relationships in the region. And uh, historically, we've had a very good um, partnership uh, with China and we'd like to see that continue. Well, we're just hearing from Australia there as we kick off the Davos agenda this week. And it's quite telling because the Australians in some ways have fallen behind the American line, a very strong trade negotiation that the US had taken with China. And Australia, despite China being its major customer, had also taken a very strict line. And you've seen a whole slew of trade fights over various products as a result. So what happens from here? Well, I think many are looking towards President Xi in an address today because it'll be the first comments that he makes on the back of uh, Joe Biden being elected US president. So what type of tone will he take? If you reverse back to 2017, you may recall that he mentioned the trade war that was uh, playing uh, potentially about to play out uh, under President Trump and said it would be negative for both sides. And I think uh, we've seen evidence to that extent that it has been negative. So uh, what uh, type of tone will he strike at the same time when he's a little bit on the back foot, I've got to say, around Hong Kong and Taiwan, Steve? Yeah, yeah, Karen, I think it's, it's business as usual. And I think we editorially said that in the dying days of the Trump administration. And we'll just reiterate what we had to say in the early days of the Biden administration. All those issues of which the US became more hawkish about uh, in 2020 towards China, whether it be human rights, whether it be about the situation in Hong Kong, whether it be about uh, concern of the South China Seas, whether it be about who is preeminent more broadly uh, across the Pacific as well. And then that's not even mentioning the trade relationship, which, of course, was the catalyst uh, for a lot of of the initiatives from the Trump administration. All those issues are there, clear and present, still remaining uh, with the new young Biden administration. And we've heard a whole host of hawkish comments uh, from various Democrats about what um, should go forth in terms of looking at the human rights side of things rather than just looking uh, at the trade relationship between the two. So I I think these moves from uh, China 
to uh, increase their incursions because the incursions have been happening on a, on a very regular basis anyway uh, into the Taiwanese airspace. It's perhaps, as you say, just 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 testing the, the young administration and just seeing uh, where the land lies as well. A little bit of a, a forays going forward. And I'm sure we'll hear from the Chinese foreign ministry uh, within the next hour or so of, about uh, their view of the state of the world as well. But uh, again, very important relationship and, and, and it needs to work, doesn't it, for the world of otherwise... Uh, Let's face it, what we're seeing on other fronts as well with the economic dire situation around the world and indeed the COVID situation as well, it's only going to get worse if US-Chinese relationships continue to deteriorate. Well, let's hear what the uh, uh, Chinese president is saying because Xi Jinping will deliver the Davos Agenda's first special address of the week and you can follow his statement live on cnbc.com from 1300 CET. And later today, yes, he is working, uh, Jeff will be hosting a virtual Davos forum with key policymakers and leaders. Uh, I think he normally does this one later in the week as well. So uh, uh, it's it's huge. I mean, look at this. You've got the EC president, Christine Lagarde, the French finance minister, Bruno uh, Non-Definitive uh, Le Maire, of course, I'm talking about Couchetard and Denon, so that'd be interesting. I'm sure that's going to come up somewhere. Uh, and the German economy minister, Peter Altmaier, uh, VW CEO Herbert Dies. I mean, what a great time to speak to him, given the concerns that the industry is having about supply chains. Herbert Dies and Goldman Sachs head David Salomon will join the conversation. That's all kicking off at 1715 CET. And plenty more from the Davos agenda when we hear from Borga Brenda, who is the president of the World Economic Forum later this year. Karen. Yes, Dave, a lot of buzz, even though we're not on the mountain this year. It was quite funny. We had snow in London yesterday, uh, despite the fact we were not on the Alps uh, this year, where typically we're positioned ready for the kickoff of Davos. But uh, let me also tell you what's on the agenda this week. As coming up on the show, the Nasdaq closes at a fresh record high. That is the fifth time this year. And also ahead of key results from some of the world's biggest technology firms this week. And for more on the president, that is Biden this time, his plans for fresh stimulus as well as rising tensions in the South China Sea, check out the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be back after a short break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give to someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Let's have a quick look at the markets. And it was a a steady day for uh, equities on the Nasdaq on Friday, just consolidating recent gains. Pretty similar story on the S&P 500. We did see some declines, 179 points on the Dow. And as Karen was talking about, we're hitting some new record levels on an almost daily basis on some of these indices. In fact, last week, the Nasdaq was back to its outperforming nature, despite the fact that many of you at the end of last year thought we were having some big rotation or thought they might have legs. Maybe it does. Maybe the value versus growth debate has a, w- a way to go. But at the moment, Nasdaq's back on form with a 42 
2% rally in the week today. Uh, Dow was only up 0.6 of 1%. So let's take a look at some of those growth stocks and technology names uh, reporting this week as well. We've got Microsoft reporting on Tuesday. That was up four tenths of a percent on Friday, uh, followed by the likes of Apple, uh, Tesla, uh, Facebook all reporting as well. But pretty solid stuff across the board. Twitter, very interesting place to be at the moment. How much has the Trump ban taken away some of the... Um, the, the, the fun and games, the impetus on, on people going first call to Twitter as well. But the stock was up 2% uh, on Friday. Asian indices, well, again, despite the concerns uh, about rising tensions in the South China Seas, the Shanghai Composite, six tenths of 1% higher, ASX 200, four tenths percent higher, and the Hang Seng really moving ahead very aggressively, up 1.8%, uh, getting within a whisper of that 30,000 level. Opening calls for European markets look like this. So just um, gaining a little bit last week, European markets, it was mealy mouthed stuff, really. The FTSE was down 0.6 of a percent. The DAX was up six tenths uh, and the CAC was down nine tenths. So a big up performance by the US indices at the tail end of last week. But what about the markets? Well, Matteo Andrito, who is the head of Spider ETF business, EMEA, at State Street Global Advisor. Good morning to you, Matteo. And I looked in your notes and I saw that phrase, which I kind of really dislike. I saw cautious optimism. So what, are you cautious or optimistic? I don't want you to be both this morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Well, first of all, what we have done is that we recognize that risk aversion is still on. And uh, we have recently increased our risk appetite across our strategic asset allocation. So that means increasing small cap equities in the U.S. in particular, because they are going to be a strong beneficiary of what we're going to see coming from the new presidency and the support plans, but also in emerging markets equities. As a hedge, what we have decided to do is to also keep our gold position on and eventually finance that overweight in emerging markets by an underweight in European equities, where the pandemic, unfortunately, is a little bit stronger in terms of effect on the economy uh, compared to what we were originally expecting. So that's why it is cautious optimistic. The edging still is still on, especially on the gold side. I'll let you into a little secret. In the last week, I'm very optimistic because both of my parents had uh, various COVID uh, drugs. One had one, one had the other. So they've had the first vaccinations. That made me more optimistic. But then when I look at the broader world, I look at concerns about infections. I look at the horrendous mortality rate and I look at the lockdowns, which are getting more strenuous across the board in the UK, Europe and beyond as well. That really dents my optimism as well. There's no quick recovery from COVID, is there? Well, but that's what we are expecting at the moment. Uh, we are forecasting 5.1% GDP growth in 2021, which is more or less in line with consensus. We are also saying that that growth will come skewed from, from the second half, from the second quarter in the second half, knowing that a, a comparison is going to be significantly easier. What we are clearly suggesting is that those vaccinations their, the seasonal uh, slowdown in the pandemic will effectively are already in the numbers. Now, the, the beauty of that is that we know that some of the companies have been particularly conservative in terms of their guidance. We already seen that in Q4, where now uh, earnings expectation for Q4 for the S&P 500 is around negative 6%, but at the beginning of the quarter was negative 13. So we're seeing a significant recovery and revision of the earnings estimates. 
Uh, can I ask you about this rotation trade? Steve was just talking about before mentioning that technology again was back in favour last week and it didn't take much effectively. We got some numbers from Netflix and that set the train in motion ahead of earnings season. But if we think about uh, logically what we're going to see this year from the technology names, even though there is going to be uh, further demand on the back of these pandemic trends, they're running up against uh, some of the, the challenges with base effects. Other areas, other sectors of the economy have been hard hit, so will naturally benefit from having better numbers than they had in 2020. Technology had a terrific performance, so it's going to be hard to eke out much stronger levels of performance. What do you make of those challenges and how the market just got this? A little bit more level of excitement around technology last week. Yeah, I, we believe that the, those trends are here to stay. Uh, clearly, growth will continue to outperform, but will be tested by the fact that uh, with the GDP, global GDP growth are over 5%, central banks should st really start tightening and raising interest rates. And that could potentially create a full rotation into value companies. We don't believe that's going to be the case simply because rates will stay low for, for a prolonged period of time. There is too much uncertainty at the moment linked to the pandemic and to the timing of the recovery. Not to, not, it is the question of when, it's really not a question of if. And unfortunately, the, the virus spreading and the dynamics around the vaccinations and the recovery in GDP are a little bit too uncertain. So technology could potentially continue to outperform. From a valuation point of view, we start prefer preferring communication. We believe it is a little bit better, but better value at the current multiples, but technology has a great momentum and it's very difficult to, to maintain an underweight in that sector. I want to switch over to debt markets because we've seen a lot of interesting action from the US 10 yield yield that started to escalate on those inflation fears down the track to lightening up a little bit now on that trade. Investors just chasing uh, some of the other trades. And we saw in the Friday session that high yield uh, yields were press pressing much, much lower. What do you do from here? Are we getting a little bit too much excess still in the bond market? Well, as I said to my friend Anna recently, clearly there is a lot that is going on in credit and we're seeing a significant shift in asset allocation coming in particular from some of the largest institutional investors. Our, 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 there are really two themes that are developing in fixed income. The one is chasing yield. Uh, that will not go away. So we keep prefer preferring, given the current market condition, emerging markets, in particular local currency, considering what, what is the dynamic on the dollar, which will potentially continue to weaken, and high yield as well. Uh, we see great value. Some of those companies are also supported by a, a potential rebound in the economy, in particular in the U.S. market. Uh, the other theme that is, is clearly coming up, but uh, might be a little bit too early in terms of the timing for full uh, allocation in the portfolio, is inflation. Um, we know that rates uh, with uh, are low. We know that the economy is are continuously supported by central banks and by the governments. And clearly, with the GDP growth over five percent, we will start seeing inflation at some point. Why are you happy with valuations with an S and P uh, with a trailing historic uh, PE currently trading in the mid to high thirties when the historical average is significantly lower than that? I mean, I've got a, a chart here that tells me back in 2012, which was a period uh, after the great financial crisis, we were trading at around about half that as well. You're happy with valuations where they are, though, Matteo? Well, on, on, on forward expected the PE, we're trailing around 22.4 times. 
which is significantly above the 10 years and the five years averages. But considering the type of contraction of earnings that we have seen in 2020, that minus 13 percent, is not, uh, we have not, this is not a situation that we have not experienced before. Uh, clearly, what will become extremely important will be the guidance for 2021. The current reporting season is really key to understand the direction of the market. But more than anything else, we're clearly focused on the quality of those earnings. Companies reporting in technology this week will be an additional bellwether. Financial will be extremely important. Where we have seen a significant revision, especially in JP Morgan, but also to try to understand the impact of the weakness on consumer discretion and, of course, airlines. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.